We are in Titus chapter 3 this morning, if you got your Bibles. Titus chapter 3. If you got your handouts, the first blank, just so we'll check this off the list. Some things go together and some things do not. Some things go together and some things do not. Now, so far in Titus, we have looked at uh, qualifications for church leaders. We have looked at what healthy church members look like. And today, we kind of start to turn the corner on, okay, when we get outside the walls of the church, what goes together, what doesn't? And Titus, uh, Paul lists several different things for Titus here and says, this is what your folks ought to look like, and this is what the world looks like. So this week, uh, my sister actually came to town uh, on, what was it, Thursday? Where did she go? Uh-oh, Julie's gone. Uh... <laughs> This is why she's always here, because I can't tell a story without her, because I don't know what the facts are. Uh, I don't know. Thursday? Thank you. Yes, you know. Okay, great. All right, she came to town Thursday for the purpose of helping us pick out paint colors for the inside of our house. We've lived in this house for seven years and are still tolerating the, I don't know, whatever color that is. It's like puke beige inside that was slapped up against the wall. I mean, it's just a, it's a really horrible, you're back, thank you. All right. Um, I kind of spazzed there for a second. There you go. All right. And so my sister takes us to Sherwin-Williams. Is that where it was? Jules, I need your help. Sherwin-Williams? That's where she takes us? Yes, all right. And Sherwin-Williams has these little books. And these little books, uh, which I instantly identified with Microsoft Office color templates, and that as long as you pick some color in that template, it all matches and it works. Well, they do the same thing for your house. This is brilliant. So you don't walk in and every potential Pantone color is a, oh my gosh, you just get overwhelmed. And I mean, for, for somebody like me, that is, it just doesn't work that way. So you have a book and you just, you pick which colors you want to go and, and you tell them this and they give you the paint and then your house looks okay. It's fantastic, this concept. Now, what you can't do is you, or you could, what you shouldn't do, is you shouldn't mix one color with another palette because you end up with very strange things. Because I told my sister, I said, I like this one and this one. And she looked at me and she patted my hand and she said, no, 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 no. <laughs> I said, okay. She said, you stick to what you do, I'll stick to what I do. I said, all right. Now, y you can get really, really crazy with this because they also will give you little samples that you can put on the wall and say yes or no or this type of thing. But the idea is that some things go together and some things don't. Kind of like my outfit today. Now, no, I'm not wearing this in the sanctuary. I have a yellow shirt right over there that actually goes with these shorts. Uh, and my sister corrected me on something else this week. Goes with and matches are two different things. Because I've said, that matches. Yeah, that matches. She said, no, no, matches means it's the same color. Goes with means it works. I said, oh, okay. It's good to know. So we were at Olive Garden Friday night. Yes, Friday night. And you guys, you may have never picked up on this, but I hesitate and look to make sure the fact is right, and then I tell the story. Um, we're at Olive Garden on Friday night, and, you know, this is... July the 4th weekend, so a lot of folks were wearing red, white, and blue, and there was a lady sitting one table across from us that had, I mean, red, fire engine red shorts on, and a different color red top on. Almost what? Almost hot pink. And I went, I said, Holly, I think I got it. 
I said, it doesn't match and it doesn't go. And she said, yes. I said, all right, great. Got it. Got it. So, so last week in the text, rough transition there, but we'll make it work. Last week in the text, Dave finished up Titus chapter 2 for us. So we'll read that text and then jump into Titus chapter 3. So verse 11 of Titus 2. For the grace of God, and yes, I am going to wear this the entire lesson today. So, yes. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. And he just goes right into chapter 3 and he says, remind them. So who's the them? The people in his, in his, uh, in his ministry. These are the, the people that are in the churches, the leaders in the churches, the, all the folks that are going to be engaged in church here. These are the, on the island of Crete. Remind them to be subject to rulers or submit to, that's your blank, submit to, to rulers. Literally, this is just those first in rank. This would be the, the top levels of their government, okay? And authorities, and the authorities would be the levels of their government that they actually engage with. Because we have, we have top levels of our government in America that, I mean, quite frankly, none of us engage with. We don't, I don't you know, President Obama doesn't call me up and go, Jim, I'm, I've got a question. Which, which way do you think we ought to go on this? That's, that's not happening, right? But we, we're going we're, we're to get to that. We're going to get to that. Um, but the authorities, the people that are the front line kind of in, the, in the, uh, the area with us, you know, I see Marty Haynes every couple of weeks, shook Gary Starnes' hands this morning, um, we engage with some of these lower-level officials on a regular basis. So submit to or be subject to, and this is the same word as in Ephesians 5.22, um, the, the submit yourself. So this is the lining up under to rulers and authorities to obey, to obey. Now, that's a, I don't like that word all the time. I'll just be real honest. Who, who is in charge of the world at this time, for this part of the world? Rome. Was Rome... Uh, were they bent toward helping Christianity grow and flourish? No, no in no scenario. They, they killed its leader. Okay? They killed its leader. And Paul says about this government that killed his king to obey. Every bit of America in me just wants to well up and go, no, we should have a revolt. Right? Does not some part of you want to go, that just doesn't feel right? Yeah, same here. Um, Kaufman's got a great quote here. I'll read this to you. The most remarkable thing about Paul's orders here is the consideration that must be given to the way the apostle personally felt toward the Roman state. There is no outcropping of any resentment in any of his letters, but it surely must have been present. Roman governors, through avarice and through incompetence, had kept him in prison for years. So this is after Paul had been in prison here. Roman authorities had illegally bound him, beaten him with rods, delayed hearing charges against him, and when the charges were not presented, still left him bound for years longer. Beyond that, the glaring immorality and wickedness of Nero were beginning to be known throughout the world, and the eventual consequence of the enthronement of evil would certainly have aroused 
apprehension in a man like Paul, yet in view of all that he wrote, be in subjection to rulers. I don't like all the Bible that I teach. I don't like this one. But it is good for me to remember that my king is not on this earth. It is good for me to remember that my king is going to come back one day and fix this earth. This place is not our home. We should not be that comfortable here. No matter what form of government, no matter what type of government, no matter what the government proposes or endorses, this is not our home. Right? So my question is, my question is, why would Paul say, submit here? Why would he not say, use everything you can do to change the government? And I spent a lot of time talking about this week. And some of you actually emailed me. I had a great email exchange with Doug this week. And he said, you know, where are they coming from with this? And, and the only thing I could come up with, and I read a lot of commentaries and a lot of perspectives, is that the world will always be the world. Right? I mean, the world will always, the world is never going to completely line up under Jesus until Jesus comes back. That's the only time that will happen. So we can't be under the assumption that we can go out, I'm going to go change all the culture and everything's going to be great and everybody's going to love Jesus and this is the way this is going to work. That's, that's not going to happen right now. However, that doesn't let us off the hook of engaging and getting involved and doing what we're supposed to do. But if you focus on the individual, then you, in, in, you enable the church to impact the world. So, so let's just be really, really, really blunt here. Um, if I focus on Amy's spiritual growth and building Amy up so that Amy is equipped to go into the world and engage the world, guess what? Amy, you can go to work and you can go engage the world. That's awesome, isn't it, right? That's cool. That's good for you. That's healthy for you. If, if I engage Darla and say, Darla, we need to build you up and so you can go engage the world, this is good. Dave, build you up, go engage the world. If we decide we're going to go engage and change the world without focusing on building up the individual parts, we get the whole thing backward. We go to war with soldiers who are not equipped. This doesn't work. And you will see, you will see ministries, you will see churches, you will see parachurch organizations try to engage the world in a way where they have not equipped the frontline soldiers, and it doesn't work for Jesus. You end up with wells with no Christ. That's no good. This is no good. Does this make sense? So if we approach the world as that's our primary tar- this is our goal, we're all going to go after the- No, 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 no. We have to be right, righteous, rightly used vessels so that we can go do this work. Because Jesus was all about the individual. He preached to thousands and thousands and thousands of people when he was on the earth, but he only hung out with a few. He was all about the individual. So Paul focuses on this individual mandate here and says, be ready for every good work. Be ready for every good work. I love these little, uh, they're, they're cock phrases. They just fill in the gaps for, so we are commanded to go do these different things, right? We are commanded to be, um, what, what are we commanded to do? We're commanded to love. We're commanded to share the gospel. We're commanded to, what else? What does the New Testament tell us we have to do? To teach, to baptize, to disciple. But there's some gray space that it doesn't really cover. 
And I love little phrases like this. Be ready for every good work. Be prepared or fit or able. So when you see something that is a good work come up, get involved. Do that. Engage with that. Even if it is not specifically listed somewhere in Scripture, that's okay. If it is a good work, go do that. This is healthy for us. So verse 2, to speak evil of no one or defame no one. Now, who are we talking about in verse 1? Government. In verse 2, to defame no one. Please don't defame our government. This is not healthy. This does not further the cause of Christ. This does not give us a platform to share Jesus with others. It just doesn't. It just doesn't. We have to be careful about this. To speak evil of no one. To be peaceable. Literally, it means not a brawler or a fighter. Now, you guys know me. I like mixed martial arts and cage fighting and love to watch, watch, watch uh, that. But hopefully, you wouldn't describe me as a brawler. <laughs> I can't even say it without chuckling. This is funny. <laughs> yeah, did you see Jim? He went fisticuffs with somebody. I mean, that's just not going to happen. I'd, I'd lose all my teeth in like 10 seconds. It wouldn't be good. But not a brawler. Not, not looking to pick a fight. Not looking, walking around with chips on our shoulders, ready to engage leadership, rulers, in some way that is not peaceable. Gentle. Showing all humility to men. Uh, Calvin had a great quote. He said, Nothing is less congenial to human nature than to think less of ourselves than others. And went, that was nice, but I like Kristen Barber's version better. She says, Humility allows us to acknowledge strength, there's your blank, strength in others that we may be lacking. Failing to do so not only damages our character, but also weakens relationships that are necessary in witnessing. It's beautiful. So, so how many things were present in verses 1 and 2? I'm going to give you a sec. Tell me how many different things were present in verses 1 and 2. How many you got? How many you got? It's not a trick question. Seven, okay? So you got seven goods. These things go together. These things are what Christians should look like in the world. When we engage, this is what it should look like. So now, in verse 3, he's going to give us seven things that we should not look like. Seven things that don't go together. Seven things that are the old way of doing things. So verse 3. I'm sorry, I got a quote here real quick. From Constable. Christian behavior is to be the opposite of Cretan behavior. I love this. Because in each one of these seven in verses 3, in verse 3, it's, it's the, he's addressing something that we're supposed to be in verse, verses 1 and 2. For we ourselves were, past tense, also once foolish. Now, each one of these words in verse 3 is a, it's a, it's a not something good. It's not the word for uh, the thing itself that is bad. It's the word for the thing that is good and a little a in front of it, which means not this. So he, he told us in verses 1 and 2, we're to be this, we're to be this, we're to be this, we're to be this. And in verse 3, it's not this, not this, not this. So it's, it's, a, it's a really neat little thing that they're doing in the Greek here. For we ourselves were once foolish. This is not thinking or not exercising our minds, not intelligent. Disobedient. Deceived. The, the word for deceived here is roaming from the truth or wandering or straying or erring. It's just I'm all over the place. Serving or being a slave to various lusts. 
And this is things for their for, forbidden. And pleasures, sensual delights or pleasures, living in malice. One of the translators had this as naughtiness. Just living in naughtiness. And you know, when you see something, you're like, that just doesn't, I don't think, that's some shady stuff right there. You know, it's just not, that's not good. You're not supposed to be doing that. So living in malice and envy. Um, the, Phillips had this on envy. said, this is the terrible feeling of displeasure we are capable of feeling when someone else is preferred, honored, promoted, or extolled. You know that? It's like, ugh. I don't like Susie. Susie is just, she's, and she just got promoted. That's envy. Yeah. That's wrong. We're not supposed to be that. When we are that, this is what it looks like. (laughs) White legs and all. This is what it looks like. It is, it just doesn't go. This doesn't fit the Christian, right? Envy, hateful. This is a neat little word. Uh, Barnes says this word comes from Styx, S-T-Y-X. Uh, this is the, in, the river, those of you that are familiar with Greek mythology, uh, by which the gods would swear. And he, this is one of the gods, according to the mythology, who violated this oath, was expelled from the assembly of the gods and was deprived of his nectar and ambrosia for the next year, which is a big deal for the gods. Hence the river was hateful to them beyond all things, and the verb, Styxeo, formed from this, signifies to shiver with horror. So it was the idea that I am going to be outside of my godlike powers for a whole year if I do this. So this just shivering in horror, this hating, this hating, hating. And then, not just hateful, but hating one another. So does that sound like, does anything in verse 3 sound like what a believer ought to be about? No, I mean, these are... This is like T-ball kind of Christianity, you know. It says, no, this is awful, this is horrible. Verses 1 and 2, yay. Verses 3, no. Why? Why is verse 3 a no? Verse 3 is a no because that was the past. Because verse 4 happens. Verse 3 is a no because of verse 4. But when the kindness or the usefulness or the, the goodness and the love, this is the philanthropy, the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. Because that's what we were. We were verse 3. We were all in in verse 3. We were over our heads in sin. We had to have somebody reach down and go, you know what, I'm not going to leave you there in that. And this is awesome. The love of God appears. The Greek word is epiphany. It is literally epiphany. It is, oh, wow, where did this come from? This is the lights all came on. This, the, the phrase here, your blank, is created visibility. Created visibility. Um, one of the things that, that I do not, I, I like to fly because it's statistically, and I'm a math person, statistically one of the safest play, uh, ways to travel. It's great, fantastic. What I do not like is flying through clouds because I think there's some value in being able to see where you're going. <laughs> I know the pilot's relying on the instrumentation and all that. That's wonderful, fantastic, good for him. But I like to be able to see where I'm going. And this created visibility takes us out of this darkness of verse 3 where everything is sin and sets us into an opportunity to live in verses 1 and 2. We have this visibility into the way the things really work. We are no longer wandering around, straying from the truth because we know the truth and the truth has made us free. 
So this created visibility is a big deal. So verse 5, how did he do this? Well, it's not by righteousness, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy or compassion, he saved us. Um, Barnes says, when a Christian is tempted to be unkind, to, to unkind thoughts or words toward others, nothing is more appropriate for him than to reflect on his own past life. That's us, right? That's us. But for the grace of God, there go I. He saved us through the washing of regeneration. Now, what, what does your translation say for the word washing? Anybody have anything else other than washing? Crickets? Nothing? Some of the commentators say that this is talking about baptism. This is not talking about baptism. This is not the same word as baptism. This is an analogy toward regeneration. And regeneration is this instantaneous work of God uh, where a man is rebirthed to new life in Christ. This is the, I have, I have a new life. This is the regeneration, instantaneous at salvation. So the washing of regeneration and the renewing or the renovation of the Holy Spirit. And I love this word, renovation of the Holy Spirit. Because, because before... We were walking around in darkness. And God comes along and says, you know what? I'm going to renovate you. I'm going to give you something completely new, something that goes, something that matches, something that works, that suits your new position in Christ, that doesn't look like it doesn't work, that doesn't stand out to everyone that sees you, that something is wrong with your life, that says, I've got options for life. I've got options for you to have a better way to do this thing as opposed to living in darkness, this renovation of the Holy Spirit. I never thought about the Holy Spirit as a renovator before, but it's a, it's a pretty good word because that's just the process for changing us. This is the sanctification piece from this Cretan-like sinner into Jesus Christ. That's a, that's a long journey, guys. <laughs> I mean, from... From Cretan to Christ, that's the Holy Spirit. It's, it's just this beautiful work that, that we get to participate in. So verse 6, whom he poured out. Another way to say this is to gushed. Whom he gushed on us abundantly, richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Um, Darla sent me a quote about Jay Vernon this week. She said, have you ever noticed that in everything God does, there's always a surplus this is actually something I've been thinking about for a few months, uh, doing a series on the excess of God and all these different little stories in the Scripture where there was just more than enough, right? When, when the manna came down, there was more than enough, and they gathered it up and gathered it up. And when, when he turned the, the fish and the uh, bread into thousands and thousands, there were 12 baskets full. How, how do you... How do you end up with more than what you started? This makes no sense because with God there's a surplus. He's just all about being gushing with his renovative work. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. So verse 7, that having been justified. So what is justification? Well, this is a judicial act where God declares the sinner righteous because of the finished work of Jesus. Now, this is not where God declares the sinner innocent. This is where God declares the sinner righteous. Those charges are gone. 
This is not a, you're pardoned. No, 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 you are righteous. Because righteous people don't have pasts because God took care of that. It is spectacularly wonderful. We get, we, we get such a, a, the good end of this deal. I, I'm still in awe of how he works this out. But having been justified by his grace, that we should become heirs. Another way to translate this word is sharers. You ever seen little kids playing together? Mine, mine, mine. And Jesus comes along with the greatest gift in the universe, and he says, ours, ours, ours. It's just wonderful. We, we get to share with Christ. It's pretty cool. Now, I grew up in Shelbyville, Tennessee, in walking horse country. And the only reason the walking horse industry existed is because rich people needed a place to park a whole lot of money uh, and have a little fun while they did it. So they would pay my uncle and my grandfather, who's now dead, uh, large sums of money to train Tennessee walking horses to walk a certain way. And it's a really goofy walk. You look at it and you go, that's not natural. That's right. It's not natural. But you can make a lot of money off of it. So they did. And uh, we got to hang out with people that had obscene amounts of money. One guy was over at our house one day. We were having a, uh, we had a, we called it a goat killing. I don't know what the technical term for it is, but that's what we referred to, where we, you killed a goat and you had a barbecue. So it was a, just a goat killing. And all these people came and it was a big party and whatnot. I, it's hard to describe some of these things because they're so redneck. That they, don't, they don't translate in any way, shape, or form to cultured or normal life. It just, it's just is what it is. So we had a goat killing and this guy came over and somebody drove up with a really nice car and he said, you know, I really like that car. The guy's like, well, I'll sell it to you for $17,000. The guy was like, all right. He said, but what am I going to do with mine? He said, well, I'll, I'll sell you mine for 3000 Okay, great. So the guy goes to his car, opens up the trunk, pulls out one of what I got to visibly see with my own eyes was about six shoeboxes. One of those shoeboxes had $20,000 worth of cash in it. He comes over, he counts out, and this is 25 years ago. That, was a lot of, that would mess with your head if you saw somebody do that today, but 25 years ago was, <laughs> I didn't know you could have that much money in one spot. You know? and this is crazy. He walks over to the guy and he starts counting out. And, you know, the guy's eyes are just getting really, because he wasn't really prepared to sell his vehicle that, way, that day, but he just got $17,000 in cash, so, okay, that works. Ridiculously, ridiculously rich people. My dad ran into somebody in Atlanta who happened to be the owner of the Hilton Hotel in Hawaii. Just let that one soak for just a second. This guy had horses with my uncle in Shelbyville, and he wanted those horses to be treated very well and be done properly and just all these different things. So he wanted to do a favor for my dad, and he said, you know, you, you guys taking a trip anytime soon? Or He's like, yeah, actually, we're, we're thinking. And dad didn't know who this guy was or what he did. He said, yeah, we're actually thinking about going to Hawaii for our 35th wedding anniversary. He's like, oh, yeah, I own a hotel in Hawaii. Oh, you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd love to help you out and put you up for a couple of days. That'd be great. So... Dad goes out, and this guy has made a phone call and said, take care of them. Well, what my mom and dad didn't understand was that that meant every luxury of that hotel was available to them for free. Now, the guy didn't tell them that it was going to be free. 
They figured it out that it was going to be free about the next to last day. And then it was, wait, wait, you weren't joking about all that? They're just, there was kind of a, there's going to be a bill coming. There's going to be a bill, you know, because you're going to do a Hilton. Hiltons are not, uh, no offense, they're not holiday inns. I mean, <laughs> just a different level. And they got to experience this rich, lavish luxury that somebody shared with them that had these resources that were, I mean, quite frankly, just beyond anything we could imagine. But this is what we get with the relationship with Christ, is that we get somebody who has all the resources in the universe, and if that wasn't enough, he'd create another one, all the resources, and then shares it with us. And I just go, it hurts my head. It just hurts my head. It's amazing, and we get to share in this. It is beautiful, this God of surplus. So by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So verse 8. So we say all of this, and we get to verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. See, faith alone is your blank. Faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is not alone. The faith that saves is not alone. See, when we got saved, it wasn't to sit around and do nothing. It was to go to work. It was to get active. It was to make a difference in the world. It wasn't so that I can be this internal believer that is right with God and has no impact on the world. No, no, no. It's not how this works. These things are good and profitable to men. What men? All men. The Cretans. It was good and profitable. When we look like verses 1 and 2, it is good and profitable to all men. When we get busy and get active and do the work, it is good and profitable to all men. Uh, Tillian Chikvidian has a great quote Darla sent me in One Way Love. When we understand that everything between God and us has been fully and finally made right, that Christians live their lives under a banner that reads, It is finished, we necessarily turn away from ourselves and turn towards our neighbor. There's a change. There's a change. So you say, Jim, what's the point? Great question. Number one, Christians are different. Christians are different. Christians shouldn't look like this. And some of you are going, thank you for saying that one more time. Yes. They shouldn't look like this. We should go. We should go with Christ. We should match Him. We should not be matching the world. This is totally, totally different. Christians are different. So what do I do with that? Examine my life. Look for the difference. There ought to be a difference. Number two, apply. Salvation and good works go together. A lot of short words today. Salvation and good works go together. So what do I do? Number two, go to work. Go to work. And if you find yourself wearing clothes like this, change. If you find yourself with friends who wear clothes like this, lovingly pick up the two-by-four and let them know they shouldn't. <laughs> I, I was wondering what kind of comments I was going to get as I walked up today, and they were far quicker than I thought that they would be. I thought everybody would be like, oh, okay, let's, let's give him a second here. Nope, nope, lots of ideas and opinions very quickly on this topic. <laughs> I, I was closing the door to the kitchen, and I saw two people 
what do you, what do you, no, no, no. I was like, it's okay, it's okay. No, it's not okay. <laughs> and that's what we need from each other. We need to be able to walk up to each other and go, that's not okay. Right? So let's tell each other that's not okay. And when it is okay, tell somebody that goes, that matches, this is good. We can do this with each other. This works. This is what we're here for. So that's the lesson for today. And I'm going to change out of this shirt because this is driving me nuts too. So uh, take a minute, uh, do your prayer requests at your tables, pray, and then you are dismissed. Thanks for coming today.